Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't gotten to see you and say good morning yet. If I don't know you yet, my name is Mitchell, and I get the privilege of serving as our Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at ICC, and it's a really good day to be together. Would you agree? Great day for worship, for fellowship. I pray you're blessed by it. Um, Really glad and grateful that you chose to be here today. Um, So whether you've been with us this summer or not, I'm going to do a quick review for you because I think it'll help either way. So we've been in um, a series of summer called Love Your Neighbor. Um, And the whole premise of our series is that we're seeking to learn how to live in obedience to what's known as the Great Commandment. Uh, which was when Jesus was asked, uh, what is the, the greatest, the most important, the ultimate commandment in the law? He said this, Matthew chapter 22, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So with all, you know, all of yourself, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, this is these are the most important things we do. They're really like two legs on a stool. They're the, they're, they're, they go together and they're the most important things we do. They should really frame and fuel our entire lives. So this is a wonderful concept, right? But we want it to be more than that. Would you agree? We want this to be more than an idea. And I, I hope you get that, y'all. That's, that's our heart for the summer is that these things, you know, we don't just show up and sit and listen and maybe learn and take notes and all those are good things. But y'all, our our hope is that this takes root in our hearts and it actually plays out in our lives. We're taking practical steps of obedience. And that's why, y'all, that's why we're doing special things like this, the challenge wall that's out here just on the other side of this wall. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but stop by there today if you haven't yet. Uh, What it is, is there's two boards and you've got a question for each week. So as we each week issue a good neighbor challenge, the following week, you have an opportunity to share like a story or a celebration about the steps of obedience you've taken and what God is doing. So you can answer, there's five questions out there that you could answer today. Each of them has a color card, um, you know, that goes with it. And you can just pin them up. I would really invite you to do that. What I'd love to see is by the end of the summer, we have this like visual representation of our experience together this summer and uh, the ways that we're seeking to grow in our obedience to Jesus together. So will y'all commit to at least checking it out? Will everybody do that? Okay, I have one, one firm commitment here with Dan. Okay, okay, thank y'all. Yeah, just stop by there. And if you don't do it today, you, it'll be out, out there um, you know, during breakfast next Sunday. So uh, also Wednesday nights, you can go out there. So just wanna remind you of that. Again, that's, that's, it's all in our effort to grow together in our obedience to Jesus. So practically how we've been doing that, we've been looking at this uh, really important teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, what we're calling the parable of the good neighbor. I'm not gonna read it today, but I just wanna remind you of it. We've been asking two uh, big questions and answering them. The first is who is my neighbor, which is the question that the guy asked Jesus in um, in this story. Who is my neighbor? We answered that in our first two weeks together by saying that our neighbors are both those who live in closest proximity to us, so your literal neighbors, and those who God has placed in our different pathways of life, okay, where we work, where we play, all the different things we do, those are our pathways of life. So those are our neighbors. And the second question is this, what kind of neighbor are you? And this is really kind of the million dollar question. It's the essence of Jesus's response to um, the guy he's talking to. And how we've been doing this is we've been unpacking each week a a good neighbor value. So a a value that's both biblical and practical that we can work to um, really work out in our lives. So, so far we've studied three of these. One, good neighbors practice hospitality, good neighbors serve, and good neighbors pray. That was last week, okay? Today's good neighbor value is this, good neighbors live justly. Good neighbors live 
justly. Now you might be kind of wondering what that means. That's great. Lean in. I hope you'll leave today with a pretty good grasp on it. Um, but first, where, where is this coming from? Why is this a good neighbor value? Why are we taking a Sunday to spend here? Well, um, you really don't have to read the Bible much to come across the concept of, of justice. God talks about justice a lot um, in relation to his people. One, one of the places that we'll start today and then we'll look at a few different throughout the morning, but um, the first is in Micah chapter six. So if you wanna go there with me, it'll also be right here on the screen. But the book of Micah, it's like towards the end of the Old Testament. It's an easy one to miss if you're not looking for it. Micah chapter six, um, we're not gonna spend much time here, but I wanna give you a little bit of context. In verse six, um, the prophet Micah, he poses this question on behalf of the people of Israel. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? So kind of the essence of the question is, you know, what, what could I bring before God that would make me acceptable to him? And he goes on to kind of list a few different offerings he could bring. They're really, they're exaggerated, they're hyperbolic to prove a point that nothing you can bring before God can ultimately make you acceptable to him. No offering we can bring him is sufficient. So in verse eight, this is probably the verse you're familiar with. He says this, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So Micah basically says here, come on, y'all, you know what God wants from you. <laughs> you know who he is, you know what he values. It's not about the offerings you bring, it's about who you are. It's about bringing yourself and who are God's people called to be. He says you're to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly. So it's kind of, it's easy to read things like this, almost like a, like a one, two, three to-do list. Like maybe I should get a tattoo of this or something, you know, but that's really not what he's getting after. Really these three things are one thing. Mike is describing um, a, a, a person of godly character who they, there are attitudes of their heart that produce actions of their life. So the attitudes of their heart, so walk humbly describes their attitude towards God. So if you're thinking about the great commandment, this would be like love, loving God. Loving kindness is really about our attitude towards those around us. It's a merciful attitude towards those around us. So you can think about loving neighbors. But what are the actions? What are we to do? What do we do? And he says it right there. The actions this produces is to do justice. He says we're to do justice. What does that, what does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to say it, good neighbors live justly, but that's what we mean, doing justice. So for starters, what is justice, right? This is kind of a big word. I don't know if y'all feel that way. It's a weighty word. It's a popular word. It gets used a lot um, in, our, in our day and age, which is not a bad thing, but we don't always mean the same thing. So I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of the word, when you hear the word justice. What, come, what pops into your mind? You might think of like um, criminal justice. You might think of the, a courtroom or a judge or you know, law and order or like some movie, you know, a lot of movies are based around justice. You might think of um, the concept of social justice, which there's a lot of conversation around that in our culture today. Uh, somebody, maybe Caleb might think of, you know, Justin Bieber's album called Justice, you know, his most recent album that conveniently had nothing to do with justice. It's just love songs, but it, you know, he, that was his shout out. I don't know what you think of. The point is we all bring different um, ideas into this, but what matters most is what God means when he says justice. When in Micah 6, 8, he says, you're to do justice and elsewhere in scripture, what does he mean? That's where we need to ground ourselves. Now, I'm going to give you just a quick disclaimer before we jump in. Um, we don't even remotely have the time to do justice, no pun intended, but to this, to this really rich topic today, this is a deep biblical concept. Um, and that's really not the point of today, uh, but I do want to give you some like kind of basic handles on like the, the fundamentals of biblical justice, and then we're going to talk how it works itself out practically, okay? Um, I'm going to be drawing a lot today from Tim Keller. He did some remarkable work around this topic of justice, um, kind of making it accessible to us normal Christians, you know, um, and understandable what it looks like in real life. Um, 
So there's some great messages out there by him, some articles, even a book that he compiled a lot of his work here. It's called Generous Justice. I'll be using this a lot today. If, you, uh, if you're interested in more, I really can't recommend this highly enough as a next step. It's actually out there in our summer learning library. We asked Steve Johnson this summer, who's been teaching us on Wednesday nights, uh, hey, what book would you want to recommend to our church for the summer? And he chose this one. Um, so I would highly recommend that. But I'm, I'm going to try to just give you some high level, just some handles on justice. What is justice? Well, at its very root, justice is an attribute of God. It's part of God's character, okay? Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology, says this, uh, that God's justice means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. So really, in essence, when we talk about God being just, it we're referring to his rightness. God's just always right. Everything about him is right. You'll see this all over scripture. One quick example, Deuteronomy 32, verse four says this, the rock, referring to God, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So he's perfect, all his ways are justice. His justice influences everything he does just and upright. This is, you'll often see justice and righteousness used together um, in the Bible because of this. They're, they're really interconnected. Um, I, I do want to point out, so this is a, what we would call a communicable attribute of God, which means that we can, to some degree, and, and are, are designed to, to some degree, reflect this attribute of God. We'll never fully, of course, right, be as just or as right as God, but we are called as his people to represent and reflect his justice to the world. So Jeremiah chapter 22, verse three, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. There they are together. And deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. So we're seeing a connection here to lifting up those who are oppressed. We'll, we'll get there more later. But um, like I said it, earlier, it's, it's hard to overestimate the importance of justice in the Bible, both as an attribute of God and as a priority for him in his world, in his kingdom, and for his people. So the, the biblical understanding of justice, it's, it's really beautiful. It's much more than just rule following, doing the right thing. God's heart really burns for justice. God is passionate about justice, and so should we be. God's passion is for his world to work rightly, to operate the way he designed it to. And so this is not a... Um, this is not like an optional passion for God's people. This is not like just for people who say, well, I'm really justice oriented, that's cool. But it's not just for you. It's not just for ones on the Enneagram who like to be right, you know. It's for, it's for all of God's people. In fact, it's a necessary evidence of a relationship with God is sharing in his heart for justice and choosing to be committed as um, really an agent of justice in the world, okay. So, I wanna make one final distinction as we define justice. And that's this, um, in the Bible you see God's justice applied in two main ways. I'm gonna hit these really quickly. One is uh, rectifying justice. And this is kind of probably what comes into your mind when you think justice. It's like catching bad guys, uh, punishing wrongdoers, rescuing the victims of wrongdoing. This is all really important. Uh, you, don't, you don't want a God who isn't serious about this. It's good that God is just. Uh, but the, there's actually a more dominant way that the Bible talks about justice and it's this. It's what uh, Keller in the book refers to as primary justice. That's why he calls it primary. And here's how he describes it. It's the quote straight out of the book. He says this, primary justice is behavior that if it was prevalent in the world would render rectifying justice unnecessary because everyone would be living in right relationship to everyone else. So primary justice is all about right relationships, right relationship with God and right relationship with the people around us. And this is really, when we say good neighbors live justly, this is mostly what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate, okay? Because um, most of us are not in a place where we're doing a whole lot of rectifying justice. That's, that's really what God does. And, you know, a good, law enforcement and government judicial system, you know, enforce justice. But we as good neighbors are called to live justly in this primary way. 
There's a visual if it helps you of like God's creation as um, like a woven fabric. And so we as people, we're, we're woven together. And so our lives are interconnected and interwoven. And so living justly means I live with an awareness of that and, and a commitment to the good of those around me. Because I know that just like my life is impacted by others, my life impacts others. So primary justice is living with that kind of mindset and being especially committed to seeking the welfare of the threads that are woven around me. So in a sense, this kind of encapsulates the great commandment, right? When we say love your neighbor, this, is, this has gotta be pretty close to the heart of what Jesus meant. It's really important. In fact, if you look at Leviticus 19, where Jesus was pulling that command, love your neighbor, it really serves as like a summary statement, uh, kind of in the midst of really a bunch of practical commands of God about um, upholding justice in the Israelite community, especially looking out for those um, who were weak and vulnerable. So you, that's, that'd be good homework to go read that whole chapter. So if it's true that good neighbors live justly, if you agree with me on that, then the question we should be asking is, well, what does it mean to live justly? What does this look like? What does this entail? So I wanna give you, there's three things. Um, there's certainly more facets of biblical justice than this, but I wanna give you at least these three things. Um, these are three things that Keller kind of calls keys of biblical justice. So I'm gonna give them to you as three keys to living justly, okay? Number one, number one, and this is gonna get practical, y'all. These are biblical principles, but they're gonna get really practical. Number one is equal treatment for all. Equally treating all people. Here's where this comes from. Genesis chapter one, very beginning of the Bible, we see God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is what's known as the doctrine of the imago Dei, the image of God. This is really important. What this means, this gives us a, the, the most fundamental truth about every person who's ever lived on earth is that they're made in the image of God, regardless of who they are or where they're from or what they look like or what life choices they make or how different they are from you. Yes, our sin corrupts the image of God in us, but it can never be removed. So this is the truest thing about all of our neighbors and it should influence how we relate with them. This is really the basis of all human rights because it, without this, we're left making just value judgments about people based on some criteria. But what we know, anytime we see a human, we know they're made in the image of God. So what this means practically is that we don't show partiality in how we treat certain types of people versus others, right? We treat everyone with honor and dignity and respect because they have an inherent value and worth that can't be taken away. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing, right? Imago Dei, the image of God. So that means equal treatment for all. This is actually just the beginning though of biblical justice. It is a foundation, but it's just the beginning. Second is this, a special concern for the disadvantaged. A special concern for the disadvantaged. So here's, here's the reality, right? We're talking about God's justice. This is, it's when his, his passion to see his world operate rightly. The reality is, it's not always right. And if you, you don't have to live in the world very long to, to realize that things are not always just. Things are not always fair. Things aren't always as they should be. We live in a broken world. <laughs> and one of the effects of our broken world due to our sin is there's just a reality that um, there's a very uneven distribution of resources and opportunities and power and influence and advantage, right? There are people, we don't, what this means is like, we don't all start and live on level ground. Some people just by, just by way of who they are, where they're born, what circumstances they're born into, what they look like, have a lot more advantage in life than someone who, someone else. This is not, this is just, this is a biblical truth. The Old Testament shows us this, it's always been this way. Even Jesus says, you'll always have the poor with you. He says, it'll always be this way. 
So this is not God's design, but it's the reality of our broken world. But there's a really beautiful thing that we see in scripture. And that is that God chooses to identify himself with those who are disadvantaged in a really special way. Like when God introduces himself, he tends to say, I'm the God of the poor. Even Jesus, as he comes, uh, starts the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So all throughout scripture, we see this. Here's another example, Zechariah chapter seven, verse nine and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, he says, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. This is what Keller notes as the quartet of the vulnerable in the Old Testament, uh, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. Over and over again, if you read the Old Testament, you see God saying, take care of them. Like more than anybody else, they need you to take care of them. It's, it's, it's hard to realize, you know, just how beautiful this is. It, it doesn't have to be just these four categories of people. It's not a category thing. This could apply to anyone, right? Anyone who's in need, anyone who's at a disadvantage, anyone who's suffering. The fact that our God chooses to identify himself with them rather than those at the top says a lot about who he is. It says a lot about his heart for justice. And the, the, the Bible is just, is just littered with commands for God's people to stand up, to speak, to advocate for those who can't for themselves. So this is an absolutely essential aspect. I hope you're getting this. This is really, really important. This is an essential aspect of what it means for us to live justly. What this leads us to realize is that when we help someone in need, uh, it's not just an act of mercy or compassion or charity. It can be all those things, but really it's an act of justice. There's a reality in which if, if I have the advantages of my resources and my opportunities and my influence and my power, my privilege, I'm actually unjust if I'm not sharing it with those at a disadvantage. And this leads us to the third key. And this is um, really the most practical and it's radical generosity. The third key to living justly, it, it absolutely means being radically generous. This is really the, I would say, um, this is really how we know that God's justice has taken root in our hearts is when we're, we're willing and even eager to share what we have with those who don't. See, uh, as Christians, what we know is that everything belongs to God. <laughs> Psalm 24:1. the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, so everything belongs to God. So what we have, we receive as a gift from him. James 1.17 tells us that, right? So what this does is this destroys our, our, our pride and kind of undercuts our ability to be greedy or stingy. God, I'll just be honest, we, we, we do this a lot as Americans. We're big on what we earn. We really take a lot of pride in what we earn. And, and I'm not, and none of this is discounting the reality of personal choices and personal responsibility for your life. But at the end of the day, everything we have is God's provision. And actually the Bible talks about us not as owners of what we have, but as stewards. So God loans us things in this life that we might show ourselves to be good and faithful stewards. You can see that in Matthew 25. So of all people, we as Christians should be quick to give generously of our time, our money, our other resources, our energy, our attention, whatever it may be. And this really gets right at the heart of what it means to live justly. So we're gonna kind of, this is sort of the tip of the spear, if you will, practically speaking. Um, I, I wanna share uh, a definition that's helped me a lot, okay? It's from an Old Testament scholar, this guy named Bruce Waltke. This isn't exactly what he says, but this is, this is kind of the, the essence of it. He says this, living justly, means being willing to disadvantage yourself to advantage your community. Meanwhile, injustice is being willing to disadvantage your community 
to advantage yourself. So often I think we think of justice as following rules and doing the right things, and we think of injustice as doing something that's, you know, blatantly really evil or wicked or mean. And of course that can be true, but have you ever thought that we, as people who have advantages in this life, we can actually be unjust simply by not being generous. It's important for us to dwell on this. This has been really impactful to me as I've been kind of preparing and processing this. So if I'm throwing a lot at you, it's just because I I feel passionate about it. Um, It's got me thinking about a lot in my own life. Because y'all, this is really where this, when when the rubber meets the road, this is super countercultural. Right, we live in a culture, I would say the most individualistic culture that's ever existed <laughs> on the face of the planet. And we, are, we, we, we live in a culture where the, the, the underlying message is always, look out for yourself. Nobody else is gonna look out for you. Your main job in life is to look out for yourself. Am I right? This is, the, this is why we do the things we do. It's why it matters where we go to school and what kind of job we get and where we live is to look out for ourselves. And what biblical justice says, what living justly means is actually we've got to look out for each other. (laughs) Yeah, again, I'm not saying that we should be unwise with our resources or stewardship is important. That's what I've been noting. But right at the heart of, of living justly is making other people's problems my problems. I, I don't just live in, a, in a, a, a bubble. I live in a fabric, remember? And so when I see the fabric is breaking down, I want to repair it because it's not just about me. So the question we ask is, what does it mean to live justly? I hope you're starting to see how practical this can get. Let me just give you a few examples. Here, here's the hard thing, and I'm sure we're all thinking it. Well, I don't know what you're all thinking, but you can tell me later or tell each other later. Um, couple of things. One, justice can feel really overwhelming. This, this idea can feel really overwhelming. You know, we can be overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world and the, and the need. And we can think, well, I, I guess I, justice looks like starting this huge movement for justice or joining a huge movement for justice. And it might be. The, those need to happen. There are, there are grievous wrongs in the world that need to be righted by huge movements for justice. And at the same time, what I think you also know, because many of you are living this, I know you, and I know your lives, justice is also an everyday thing. And what my hope is that this helps you to see, it actually deepens uh, and enriches your understanding of God's call in your life, that you're an agent of justice. You're not just someone who helps others. You're not just someone who serves others. You're actually an agent of justice. That's a high calling. So sometimes this is obvious, right? Sometimes it's, um, you know, uh, the homeless person on your street, you know? And justice looks like, if we think about those three things, looks like me looking them in the eyes, seeing the image of God, recognizing they're at a disadvantage. (laughs) Have they made choices to be where they are? Maybe. They also probably started with a lot less too, I would guess. And if you heard their story, you would probably know that. And then, how can I be radically generous to them? How can I disadvantage myself for their advantage? How can I lower myself to lift them up? That's justice. Sometimes it's as simple as just how we operate in our neighborhoods, how we operate as citizens of a community. We keep our neighbors in mind. You know, when I'm out cutting my grass, I'm not just like, how little of my grass can I cut until the neighbor will cut the rest? You know, like, where's the line? You know, everybody, it's like the weird grass line where you're like, I don't know what's mine. And, you know, well, what if I just offered to cut their whole, their yard? You know, what if when the, you know, it's fall, I don't blow my leaves into their yard or into the street, right? That's the mindset that it's just about me. All that matters is my land, my property. 
Or when a need arises in your neighborhood, when a storm blows through your neighborhood, are you only thinking about, thank goodness we still have power, you know? Or are you thinking about, I wonder how so-and-so is doing? I wonder how they're doing next door. Maybe we should check in. Sometimes it's, it's, it's under the surface, it's harder to see. You know, I think we're called to this emotionally and relationally as well. Sometimes we're called to give more than we would like to, more than is convenient to a, partic- a person who's particularly just really needy at this moment. They need a lot from you. Are we willing to be generous? Many of you, I know this looks like your jobs. This, t- this plays out in your jobs. Um, you know, if, if you're in business, you know, what, what living justly means is I'm not only thinking about maximizing profit, right? I'm thinking about the good, the welfare, the flourishing of everyone involved in my business. If you're in healthcare, it's how, how can you leverage your education and your skills and your abilities to serve vulnerable people and lift them up? Maybe you're a student and the question is how can you uh, I know, <laughs> I know you guys, I know the mindset in your classes is look out for yourself. How can you change that narrative? How can you look out for your classmates? So I just, I'm just trying to help you see, you've got to kind of take it and figure out what it means for you. But I hope you're starting to see how practical uh, this gets. So there's one more thing I need to, uh, we need to talk about. It's like really important. Uh, but we'll do that at the very end. Right now, I want to kind of pause and linger here. um, And I'm going to invite up our uh, good neighbor story for today, who is Michelle Bowden. Is she in here? I sure hope so. There she is. Come on up, Michelle. Let's welcome her. Here you go. I'll come over here. You can have this one. No, you're good. Um, Hey, thanks for being here this morning and sharing with us. Um, y'all, Michelle, many of you know her. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but um, we invited her because she really does exemplify and embody this, uh, what it means to live justly, um, particularly in her work. And so can you just give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do? Oh, I have your mic. I'm sitting on it. I didn't like touch it. I was just sitting in the chair. There you go. There you go. My name is Michelle Bowden. I am married to Barrett, and I am a pediatrician. Um, I, we moved to Memphis, actually, for me to go to medical school. And um, over the course of the last 10 years or so, have found myself faced with a lot of choices about how I choose to practice medicine. Um, and those choices have often been influenced by choosing justice um, and to make a difference in the place where the Lord has us. So, yeah. 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 Well, t- yeah. Tell us a little more about that. Like, what does that, you know, mean to you to live justly, to choose to disadvantage yourself in some way to advantage someone else? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, my work as a pediatrician, I um, have some interesting things that are a little bit unusual mm. for a lot of pediatricians. Um, I work for Lebonner, but I, in that role, have a couple of um, interesting clinics. I work in our general pediatrics clinic, which mostly serves a kind of the urban poor in Memphis, um, which I really love. But I also work at a behavioral health facility here in town where it, um, my patients are mostly teenagers who have come from really disadvantaged backgrounds. And often because of that, um, have behavioral issues, sometimes have been involved in juvenile justice, um, and are sometimes kids that are hard to love. Um, yeah. And so I spend um, some time there. And then I have an eating disorder clinic um, where we're kind of meeting people in the, um, the heart of some really hard seasons for them. And so I think for me, I, what Mitchell and I have been talking about and what he's talking about this morning is really just that question of what does it look like to choose to disadvantage um, myself in order to advantage others for the sake of the gospel. And I think there are some ways that that feels really like obvious, right? Like if you didn't work for a clinic where people are mostly poor, you would probably make more money. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Or, you know, I, there are a lot of days where I come home and I'm really drained that emotional piece that, that wears on you from working with people who um, have a lot of needs. 
um, where you know that's a choice that I make is to yeah. give part of myself to um, my patients um, for the sake of the gospel. Um, certainly, there's time that goes into that, and especially if you're choosing justice outside of your work, man, that's time that you could be doing something else that you're yeah. choosing to give up. So um, but I think one of the things I was thinking about this week is really the the cost of being misunderstood. Hmm. Um, and for me, uh, I think it, you know, when I first started doing this work, it was being misunderstood by people who wanted me to do something different, who wanted me to make more money, who wanted me to not live in Memphis, um, <laughs> who wanted things for me that looked different from what I was choosing, yeah. um, and having to trust the Lord to know that what I was choosing was right and just, and to yeah. trust that over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it also sometimes looks like being misunderstood by the people that we care for, that yeah. we're trying, we are disadvantaging ourselves for them and for them to come back and say, man, I don't think you're doing a good job. Or, I mean, I've been called racist. I've been called um, incompetent. I have yeah. been yelled at. I have been, you know, had things thrown at me um, yeah. because people don't understand why I would choose this. Yeah. And don't always believe that I'm choosing something for their good. And those are hard days. Yeah. Those are hard days to choose to continue to do the work of justice. But ultimately knowing that my call is to show people more of Jesus. Yeah. And to do the thing, whether I get the response that I want or the reward that I want or understanding from people, to know that... Um, I am trying to be a part of making his kingdom a little more true on earth yeah. so that people have a glimpse of yeah. the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And I want to be a part of that even when it's hard to do and even when people don't understand why I do it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. How would, what would you say maybe to someone who's thinking, um, I would really like to, I, I, I want to live justly. Well, what is that? But I, you know, I don't have an opportunity, my, you know, my job isn't as focused there, or, uh, you know, how do I do that? What would you say to someone who's sitting here today wanting to grow in that? Yeah, yeah I, um, man, the Lord is so sweet, I think, when we ask for eyes to see, and that's a prayer that I have prayed for a lot of years, hmm. is just to have eyes to see the injustice around me, that I can see, um, beyond just the surface of what my patients are telling me, yeah. or I can see beyond your example of just like the guy standing on the street yeah. again today asking for money, yeah. that I can see beyond that to really see the injustice that um, helps perpetuate that or to yeah. understand that on a deeper level. And um, I think the Lord is so sweet that once we ask for us to see, I think he also gives us people and gives us places where we can then do something about that. Yeah. Um, and I think you're worried about, you know, it doesn't have to be some like epic, <laughs> you know, you don't have to start a nonprofit and yeah. solve world hunger. <laughs> um, you've got to figure out what it looks like to maybe like buy an extra meal at lunch yeah. to give to somebody that was standing outside before you went in. Like yeah. that is justice. Yeah. Um, so I'd say, you know, choosing, asking the Lord to see those things and then choosing to step into them um, yeah. when the Lord shows you ways that you can make a difference. Um, and I would say, you know, the, the other thing that I've really thought about a lot this week is um, there are a lot of you here who are already doing that, as Mitchell said, and a lot of you who've chosen to be in Memphis or to stay in Memphis or to do the things that you do to be a part of ministries um, yeah. because you're choosing justice already. Um, and you may or may not be aware, but this was a really hard week in Memphis to practice medicine. Um, it was just really hard. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the thing that I have held on to this week is knowing that there are parts of justice that will only be made fulfilled in heaven. And that ultimately the promises that we trust in are not that we will see all the reward on this earth, yeah. but that we will get to be a part of a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and that hopefully some of the choices that we've made towards justice will have invited other people to be there too. Yeah. And I feel really grateful for that, even in the midst of a really hard, broken week. So um, thank yeah. you for those of you, most of you who are already doing those things. Yeah. and know that you can trust in the Lord. 
Yeah, amen. Thank you, Michelle. Can we say thanks? Thank you. Um, really appreciate you sharing your heart, Michelle. Um, it's important to note that uh, God, God is just. He is bringing his kingdom to earth. Um, and one day, everything will be right. We get the privilege, the opportunity of being a part of that, bringing his kingdom to earth. As Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so, good neighbors live justly. I hope this is kind of finding a place in your mind, in your heart. Hope you're processing and, and asking that question um, that Michelle just posed, which is, if you open your heart, you open your eyes, what do you see? Who do you see who's made in the image of God, who is at a disadvantage that you could be generous to? Um, we're going to get really practical. There's one last thing that I, I'd, we, we would just be, yeah, today would just be incomplete. It'd be a major, a huge miss if we don't land here. Um, you might notice I haven't talked much about Jesus this morning. And I did that intentionally because I, I want us to focus in here. If you, if, you, if you miss some of the work we've done so far, that's fine. Um, you just can't miss this. Um, justice begins with God and is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, justice is just part of who God is. Um, and he's chosen to show us, to display for us um, and to make possible for us true justice through Jesus. You know, um, <laughs> Jesus was all about justice. If you look really from his birth to his death and everything in between, uh, justice was his heartbeat. He truly lived justly. Um, everything we've talked about this morning, he did. He identified with the poor, even from his birth, right? Born in a manger to poor parents and grew up in a small town, just grew up in obscurity. And, and one day when he did begin his public ministry, he, he inaugurated his ministry by, you know, he stood up in the temple on a Sabbath and he read this from Isaiah chapter 61. He, it says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came for justice. Because he read, he read that and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm, I'm the fulfillment of this. This is who I came for. I came for those who are needy, who are broken. As you look at, if you, as you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, you know, I mean, personally, he chose to live, you know, essentially homeless, you know, with nothing but the clothes on his back. And over and over again, he just had this divine knack for, you know, he would walk, he would walk into a room or walk somewhere and he would just, he would find the person who in worldly terms was the lowest person. You know, the person who's outcast, who's marginalized, forgotten, suffering. He made his way to the fringes of society and he would see those people. He would see them in their disadvantage. He knew their story and he would move towards them in generosity, you know. On the contrary, you know, he saved his harshest criticism for people who overlooked people like this. Um, Matthew 23, 23 is a good example. Um, Jesus is, you know, rebuking the Jewish religious leaders of the day. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe men and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are they? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Sounds kind of like Micah 6, 8. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus had a pet peeve and it was when people felt really righteous, but they were missing the whole point. These guys were so serious about tithing, they would tithe their little herbs from their garden. Jesus says, that's fine, do that. But you're missing the most important things in the kingdom of God, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
you know, with Jesus' disciples. I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount earlier. That would be a good place to go this week. Matthew 5 through 7, you see a thread of justice running throughout Jesus' teaching. Even if we rethink our, you know, parable from this summer, the parable of the good neighbor, what made this man a good neighbor? The Samaritan man, he saw another man who was in need, made in the image of God. He was not a friend, he was a stranger or even an enemy, religiously and ethnically, but he saw him and he saw his disadvantage in that moment and he moved towards him in generosity. So even all of this, yes, Jesus was an example of justice. Yes, he was a teacher. None of that is the most important thing that Jesus did. Um, Because the reality is we can get, you know, you could leave, you, you, you might not, but you could leave really inspired today and excited to do justice. You could feel, um, you could leave feeling a little guilty and like you've, you're obligated to do more, you know? It could feel like this heavy thing, but I wanna tell you none of that is what you should feel. <laughs> I mean, it's cool if you feel excited, but none of that's enough. It might last today, maybe this week. You might do some things differently this week, but it's not sustainable. None of those things, not inspiration, not obligation, not guilt not pressure to be a certain kind of Christian. None of those things can produce real justice in your life. Um, Only the gospel can do that. And that's what I want you to hear today. Um, The gospel makes us just. Um, Jesus not only exemplified justice and taught about it, but um, he he suffered injustice for us. He, He endured an unjust, arrest and trial and execution. Basically everything about what happened to Jesus in the last hours of his life was illegal and unjust. It's a total miscarriage of justice. Not to mention that he was being judged for our sin so that we wouldn't be. All the while, First Peter tells us that Jesus was entrusting himself to him who judges justly, which is his father. So Jesus knew that there was justice on the other side of the cross but he went there for us. He disadvantaged himself ultimately in his death for our greatest advantage, which is our eternal life. This is how Paul can say in Romans chapter three that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because he judged Jesus in our place. So what I want you to hear as the band uh, comes, the worship team, they're gonna lead us on in worship. What I want you to hear is this. Only the gospel can make us just. Um, It's only when we learn to accept and live in the grace of the gospel that we'll ever learn to live justly. Because the gospel does something to us where it both uh, lifts us up and humbles us. (laughs) It lifts us up and as we see, we're, we're just blown away by the sacrifice of Jesus for us. His generosity towards us. So we receive from his generosity and that makes us wanna be generous with others. We receive his help. He is the ultimate good neighbor (laughs) and that makes us wanna help others. Yes, it lifts us up, but it also humbles us so that when we see people who are suffering, we see people who are disadvantaged, we see people who are in need, we don't look at them and see something that's foreign to us. We actually look at them and we see ourselves (laughs) because that's who we were, spiritually speaking. And that's who we would be right now, apart from God's grace. We would be destitute and broken because of our own choices. We landed ourselves there in need, but he moved toward us in generosity. And so what I want you to do, I'm gonna give you a practical challenge, but what I want you to hear is you're, the first thing you've gotta do, we've gotta do day in and day out, y'all, is we've gotta be filled up by Jesus. We've gotta remind ourselves of the gospel. We've gotta believe maybe for the first time or re-believe over and over again the gospel and allow that to fuel us in living justly. Once you've done that, I do wanna challenge you this week to look for someone, like Michelle said, open your eyes and, and look for someone who you can show radical generosity to this week, who needs something more than you do. <laughs> and how you can look for a way to disadvantage yourself, to make a sacrifice for their good. I believe y'all, we, the, the needs are endless 
sometimes we're overwhelmed by it. <laughs> um, what that means though is that there's somebody. Can you imagine if we all just took this seriously this week <laughs> and looked for someone who we can show justice to? I think of like the words of uh, Amos in chapter five, the prophet Amos says, let justice roll down like waters. That's what God says. God says, that's my desire for my people. So that you'd be the kind of people who make justice roll down your city and your community and your neighborhood and your family and your friends and your workplaces. May we be those people who are reweaving the fabric that God has knit together. May we see his justice roll down. Let me pray for us. God, I, um, I just thank you that you're just. <laughs> um, be a scary thing to serve an unjust God. Thank you that you are always right. You always know what's right and you always do what's right and you always are what's right. Thank you for this amazing world you've created and thank you for every single human you've created in your image. Uh, God, at times it, we do feel just overwhelmed by the brokenness and the need and the disadvantages of others. Uh, but God, we know it's not too much for you. You are our champion of justice. And God, through Jesus, you have inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth. And every time we repair a, a broken fabric in your, in your creation, God, we're, we, we are bringing heaven to earth. God, I pray that we would be known as people of justice. I just pray for all of us right now that um, yes, we would uh, just, we, we would respond to you, but even more God, that we would, we would know what our next step is. I pray if there are any who haven't believed in the sacrifice of Jesus to satisfy your justice for them, that they would today. I pray for those of us who are just trying to figure out, how do I just make this more of a priority in my life? How do I soften my heart towards people more? How do I learn to truly be an agent of justice? God, I pray that you would help us to take our one next step, that next thing that you would have us do. I pray that you would make that clear to us by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, move and work in our minds and our hearts in this time. It's yours to do what you wanna do. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.